Welcome to Firefly Ignite, where our hope is that one person's story will ignite your story. On this week's episode, we talk with Alina Pettit, who is the author of Ladies Like Us and English Etiquette. She's also the founder of the Darling Academy. So let's jump into our conversation. I am so curious about your journey. I've read some of your material, so I know a little bit of your biography, but could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do right now? Okay, so I was born and raised in West London um, with a family of non-believers. And I went to an inner city school in London where I was kind of the majority in terms of my ethnicity. There was a a rich diversity of um, kind of faith backgrounds. Um, But our primary school, this was of the time where you would sing hymns in assembly, regardless of, you know, kind of the diversity and things. And I remember them having quite a profound impact on me. So um, I always... I don't know. I kind of grew up wanting a bit of a romantic fairy tale and definitely, definitely felt a calling to be a a mother and stay at home and raise my children at home. You know, obviously we all raise our children at home, but to stay home with them. And my mother was single. So I saw the pressure that was put on her to work and to try and run a household. And I kind of made a bit of a promise to myself that I didn't want my life to kind of go down that route. And obviously she was in that situation through no fault of her own, but I just saw how stressful it was. And my schooling kind of took place over the 90s, which was like real girl power era. And there was a lot of pressure on young girls, I believe, to kind of put all of their focus on what they were going to be when they grew up. Grew up. Um, but none of that included being a mother. There was no kind of narrative that supported that whatsoever and teachers used to ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up and if I said you know a mum I would get laughed at which doesn't make a a young girl feel very good and going through puberty and you know the ups and downs of growing up to be laughed at is the last thing you want so I pretended I wanted to be xyz it changed you know every, every single time in terms of my answer and then leaving school I then kind of just went out into the working world and got swept up in modern culture, which at the time was very much influenced by Sex and the City. It was all about going out, um, living for today, a lot of drinking, a lot of binge drinking, especially. I know that young people are still kind of wrapped up in that. And also promiscuity, because I hadn't been taught. I had no kind of real model that taught me that um that would really damage my self-esteem actually I felt that the media were telling me it would boost my self-esteem I would be a liberated woman in touch with my sexual side and things um and it was just a, a downward spiral through kind of um my late teens it started very young actually um through my late teens and into my early 20s and I dated a few people had you know, the sex, drugs and rock and roll lifestyle. And then I met my now husband when I was 21. And um, we got together and things were really rocky for a while, actually, because I just didn't know how to um, 
be in a relationship because it hadn't been modeled to me at all. And my husband had the same, even though he, he was also raised by a single mother. Um, they were actually in a Baptist church for quite some time. Um, but I do think it's very important to have a relationship modeled to you. If not by your parents, then definitely by the, me- by the media, because there are no happy housewives or happy families on the television. Um, and we got married. I had my son. My self-esteem was still rock bottom because I'd had this identity as a working woman. And now suddenly I was a housewife and there was no one to look up to, no one supporting me, nothing in the media that was kind of like backing me up. Housewives were made out to be desperate. Again, another show, Desperate Housewives. And they all wanted to escape their situation. And actually I was finally living my dream and it was just a real anticlimax, a real anticlimax. And um, I ended up getting bullied by another woman. It's a big, long story. My testimony is in Ladies Like Us. But eventually, um, an older lady in a church, I'd gone to a, um, a children's kind of uh, playgroup within a church. And this older woman came up to me and this light was just emanating from her. I could just... She was walking over to me. I was very nervous because at this point I really distrusted women. Um, but she was just glowing. I don't know if you've ever witnessed that, Lauren. Have you ever seen people that just literally just shine with the love of Yes, you know? absolutely. Like, you can just uh, feel it. You feel yeah, calm yeah. and peaceful in their presence yeah. and safe. Yeah, so safe. And But I was astounded at the same time. I was like, what on earth is this? This is such a... a I could literally see her glowing. It was the weirdest thing. Bear in mind, I wasn't a believer at this point as well. Even though I'd, I'd always believed in God, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. So she invited me round to her house to have coffee with her the next day. And I was like, what does this older woman want with me? I'm kind of a 27-year-old 20, woman. Um, it, it just seemed weird, but I, I accepted anyway uh, and went round to her house. And this always makes me laugh because it sounds so cliche but her old Irish mother was there and she looked at me square in the eyes she went do you know Jesus (laughs) proper proper full-on cliche (laughs) and most people who aren't believers when when you get thrown in the deep end like that you go ah kind of I'm here with these bible bashes but actually something in me went oh I'm interested it's like my ears pricked up And we had a long conversation. It turns out her um, husband was an elder in the church and they suggested that we, they come around and do Christianity Explored with my husband and I. And every, every single cell was going, yes, 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 yes. I was very excited and I didn't know why. Went home and spoke to my husband about it. I was not expecting it to go down well, if I'm honest, because although he'd been raised Baptist for, you know, quite some time, he'd kind of fallen away as well. And we were living a very kind of just secular lifestyle. And, um, he went, yeah, why not? And I was like, what? <laughs> so they came round the next Wednesday evening and all of a sudden my husband produces a Bible that I had never cited. We'd, you know, been together for a good 10 years by that point. And I was like, where's this come from? Kind of side-eyeing this person, like, do I even know you? And then they were going through Christianity Explore with us and my husband was like citing Bible passages. And I was just like, what? Um wow. So yeah, that's kind of the beginning of of the story. And I just felt I had to share it because 
what my salvation meant to me was just, it literally transported me back to what I felt I was created to be and the world took it away from me. Right. You know, I felt like I was finally kind of like following the path that God had had destined for me, even though I didn't know him then. So, Mm -hmm. so would you say then that that time in your life really was the turning point for where you are now? Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it literally, um, it saved me. It, it saved me because I was so depressed. I think I had undiagnosed postnatal depression. And then on top of that, I had this horrible experience um, being bullied by this other woman. My, my self-esteem was rock bottom and I just didn't know my identity. So it was almost like, you know, the Lord reminded me of, what I was intended to do and who I was created to be and it very much saying it's okay to be that person even though the world doesn't understand it um your peers think you're weird <laughs> because it was such a transformation um so yeah it literally gave me my life back it really felt like that right that's really encouraging I think one observation as you're sharing too is that you know, from the time that that turning point happened to the time of the first edition of your first book, that's actually not a very long time period in my mind. Just, I mean, we're talking about what, three, four years turnaround. Yeah, yeah that's, that's not very long. So that it, it, what it shows me is that you had such a significant uh, turning around within you, a transformation that it, you know, it really led you on a very strong trajectory that enabled you to then produce this writing that in yeah. in a short amount of time. Yeah, and and it really surprised me as well because I think probably about eighteen months after kind of being saved, I was then baptized, and I remember it was summertime, and. I just felt a calling to write a book. I'd always loved writing. And funnily enough, when my mother um, gave birth to me, she remembers holding me and knowing I'd be a writer someday, which my mum's not a believer or anything, but she's very intuitive. And I'd never really hung on to that, but she reminded me of that whilst I was going through the writing process. So my son would go to nursery for a few days a week and I would come home and start writing and then suddenly look up at the clock and it was time to pick him up. And I had written five, six, 7,000 words. And I, 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 even now when I read back, ladies, like us, I don't know where it's come from. It was very much felt like the Holy Spirit was kind of guiding me. And then also when I'd just finished writing it, my husband um, was kind of reading it back and kind of helping me with editing. And we spent some time in prayer one Sunday morning and he disappeared off to another part of the house. And we both at the same time got from the Lord, the same piece of scripture, Esther 414. And which is, you know, you've been created for a time such as this. And I've hung on to that ever since, because that really felt like confirmation for me that all of the bad experiences that I had in my life, all of the um, stuff that I was sharing was meant to happen. You know, it's, it didn't feel like a vanity project. Yeah. Writing this book, I, I desperately needed to kind of share. Yeah my life and, and how, how much it changed. Right. So as I was reading your book, the phrases that stuck out to me was 
the use of the word branding. So you have this point sort of about middle of the book where you just say, it's important to think about, to figure out your brand. Yeah. And I'd love for you to kind of explain more of what you mean by that, because hearing your story, I can see that you lived this out first. And then now what you're doing is encouraging women to think about their own branding. So explain that word a little bit. Okay. So this is very much, you know, we can get swept up our identity, our personal identity can get very much swept up in trends, um, in the way, uh, it's almost like a herd mentality, as it were. And it's very much, it goes back to that reminder of who you are. And we have to kind of portray ourselves as we want to be seen rather than portraying ourselves in order to fit in. And I think also being a Christian, sometimes you very much have to go against the grain. And if you think about, you know, they'll be, they'll be known by their fruit. The, the things that you do, the way that you hold yourself, the things that you say, the things that you hold yourself back from saying, it's very much becomes the essence of who you are. So you've got to think about who am I as a person? What do I want to contribute to the world? How do I even want my appearance to affect how other people view me? Because I think, you know, we're very visual creatures. People can have this um, instant idea of who you are. Even, I mean, for women especially, it's a, it's a very hot topic, but modesty, dressing, you know, kind of modestly, it's... <laughs> it's a tough subject because you can very much easily slip into trying to please other people and trying to become something you're not. But actually it's just really thinking about who am I in this world? What do I have to give? How do I want people to see me? And am I doing the right things to portray that brand that, you know, who is Alina? Who is Lauren? Mm -hmm. Yes. And what I love is that what you're doing is you're just challenging women to think about what we often uh, don't think about the things that suddenly are just they become more of a subconscious thing. It's like you said, it's it's the ways in which we were raised. It's the status quo, um, our inherited cultural codes of how we relate to people that oftentimes we just don't think about it. And so we live out of, um, you know, what we've been trained by, or we live out of simply reaction to the yeah. world around us. And you're just saying, let's pause for a minute. Let's think about uh, these trends, these this herd mentality that often happens. And who is it that you really want to be? Who is it that you've always hoped to be exactly. and and then make a, a plan for that to happen yeah it's very much I mean I, you know, I always loved makeover movies when I was younger as well I still do in fact and if you think about it you are a new creation a lot of us kind of um live our lives according to what happened in the past as well you know our fears our feelings of guilt our shame and actually you you are a new creation you need to you need to recognize that truly recognize that and realize you can make a change you know really take stock and decide for yourself actually I'm going to kind of have this new walk of life now rather than just going with the flow right the flow isn't always that helpful it reminded me of something you also said that typically most people live out of a place of fear or love 
And I think that's so true that if we really looked below the surface of what motivates our actions, what motivates our attitudes, our words, is it based out of love or is it based out of a fear in some way? And that really just cuts to the bone very quickly when you look at it that way. Any question, any quandary by by just asking that one question, is this coming from a place of love or is it coming from a place of fear? And that fear may be multi-leveled, you know, it could be just literally fear or it could be feelings of, you know, anxiety or shame or um, wanting someone to like us, you know, even if kind of what we want to say isn't necessarily what they want to hear. So I think, yeah. So I have this quote here that you've stated. It says, if you live in a state of joy about yourself and live in your sweet spot, then you will present the best parts of you to the world and your light can truly shine. I think that this really kind of summarizes a lot of the heart behind your book about ladies like us, where you're just trying to say, hey, there's something really beautiful about the way each of us was created. And when we tap into that and we receive the gift of new life, of transformation, then any form of change is possible. Yeah, it it truly is. And also, I mean, what's funny about this book as well is that I didn't intend to write it for a Christian audience. I intended to write it for a secular audience, ladies like me who were living a lifestyle that I used to lead and I wanted to kind of point the way rather than kind of evangelize I know there's a lot of kind of like Christian scripture in there and ideas but I just I really wanted to point the way because I do believe you know sometimes it takes a while for people to kind of accept Christ um but there are steps that you can take to live better that will get you step-by-step closer, you know, before your kind of heart will soften. Some of the things that you've written in your book have been sort of labeled now as traditional, traditional values, traditional roles, et cetera. But when I read this book, although there is some of that, what I actually see is a promotion of values upon which this culture was founded on. So it's not, I wouldn't even label it as traditional values, although some of perhaps the roles um, can look more traditional. What I see are values such as honor, respect, poise, elegance, honesty, gratitude, kindness. Those are things that will benefit any society. And so I love that these values are being promoted in this book, but why do you feel like it's so important that we reclaim some of these values that seem to have been lost over time? That's an interesting question because after having been in the, I've been in the press quite a lot this past year because last November I filmed a a segment with the BBC about uh, being a traditional housewife, funnily enough, the proper Proverbs 31 woman. And it got spun upside down and on its head. And I was labeled um, a white supremacist and um, just the most awful things, the most awful things. So what 
after having conducted a lot of interviews, I'm wondering if actually we haven't lost these values because the amount of emails and contact I've had from men and women alike, um, women who are saying, thank you for finally talking about, you know, the work you do in your home, not necessarily my books, because that's just, you know, they're done now, they're written, that was just a, a side project. Kind of, it's almost like a ministry, like a campaign. I do actually believe that our the biggest problem we have is the media because our lives are so consumed by it now. If you think about it, you know, we used to live very kind of agrarian lifestyles. Um, they were very small in our community. Like the communities were really close knit because, you know, you, you had your own little patch of land. You were as self-sufficient as possible and you traded with your neighbor. You knew your neighbor. People wouldn't commute for miles in order to go to work. We, we lived very locally and we used to go to church every Sunday. Even if you were a believer or not, it was just a cultural expectation. Some people used to, they used to find people for not going to church, for example. So with, you know, modernity and the industrial age and things like that, women then kind of went into the factories, schools were created, and we're spending less and less time together as a family unit. And that has an impact, therefore, on the structure of the local community. And then that further impacts society as a whole. And now all we have to look at is television, social media, Facebook, YouTube, and it's all a promotion of things that are, you know, everything outside, everything that glitters is what we should be aiming for. Um, don't have a quiet Sunday at home because how boring is that? Why don't you go shopping instead? Why don't you, um, you know, go in the pursuit of more? Oh, housewife, you must be so bored with your housekeeping and you can't wait to drink gin with the girls because it's such a drag, you know, having your family and things. So from what I've heard from people is that actually they really, really, really want this quiet, um, traditional, I'm, do, I'm doing air quotes here, traditional lifestyle where life is slower, it's more meaningful, it's more considered, it very much is in support of family and a, a real togetherness. But I just think in the age of advertising and, and media, we are being influenced against it. Right. Oh, yeah, I totally agree with that. And what's dangerous is the way that it does actually undermine a lot of these values uh, subliminally. And we've, yes. and without thinking, That's you receive the yeah. messages and you form judgments about people, about life. And so then these values that, like you said, aptly that I think many people do really want these values and they yeah. do exist still. And when we've come across someone who demonstrates these, it's it's like you breathe in a sigh of relief because it's such a beautiful exchange, but the media kind of just making everybody think and act the same way. And then these other values are pushed down for the yeah. sake of living life, you know, on the edge and the fitting in with thing. the crowd. Yeah being very individualistic as well. There's a, there's, there's a huge encouragement on, um, you know, each person is special, but not in, not in a, a good way, you know? Um, and it's, it's very much out, out for yourself and, and exchanges between people are what do I get from this rather than what can I, how can I serve you? And this circles back to what we were saying about stopping and pausing and saying, am I 
the things that I'm doing, the things that I'm consuming, reading, listening to, are they serving me in a good way? My husband and I used to watch a lot of soap operas. And we took stock one evening because we were shouting over the television to communicate with one another. And on the television was a couple having an argument. And then we, it was almost like the blinkers were off suddenly. We're like, oh my goodness, we're watching these shows and there's nothing but violence, you know, um, promiscuity happening, uh, murders and things like that. And I just thought, what good is this going into our, feeding us subconsciously? You know, and if you think about that influencing young couples and also it being on in the background with young children, they think that this is the way to communicate. That's what's being modeled to us. So you need to take mm. stock and go, whoa, how much is too much? Like, right. what, what can I eliminate? Yeah, yeah. And going back to what you said about the individualistic mindset, when it's all about me, then what that takes out of the picture is how do I impact other people and is what I'm doing and and how I'm acting actually honoring those in my life or honoring society honoring yeah. the people around me and and it throws that out by saying no you just need to be yourself you know um, and so then it clashes against one of those values that we uphold so dearly yeah and that's your brand funnily enough right how are you impacting the world around you? And it's a very important part of it. And, you know, when you were talking about how society used to be, and I was thinking, you know, the recent All Creatures Great and Small series oh, that was released, that. just amazing, <laughs> you know, and, and my husband and I were talking about it and we were saying, what is it about that type of show that makes your heart ache and come alive and, and sing <laughs> I know it, it was really funny because I am a sucker for those shows they're just so wholesome like call the midwife especially oh my goodness get the tissues because I'm just going to be crying within five seconds but all creatures great and small funnily enough my husband was like oh not another one of these because he <laughs> but after the very set, first episode he turned to me and he went thank you for making me watch that. That was so good. It was so wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. And when you have uh, shows like that, it brings us back to a time and place when we didn't have so many of the distractions that we have nowadays. That yeah. time in society when everyone did go to church and when there's this kind of unspoken code of how to relate to one another in a, what I would say, more respectful and honorable way and yes. just makes me want to go back to that time. Me too. Can it get me a time machine? Oh, actually, no, we'll have that eventually. <laughs> <laughs> That's coming. <laughs> yes. Well, I just think what I love, Alina, about your books and about the vision and the really the passion behind what you do is to try to encourage women, especially that there is hope to change, that they don't have to live according to how things have been, that it's okay for uh, a new chapter to be written in their lives. And, and also just that 
you're very clear in your book and, and what I feel is very honoring to those who do think differently that, you know, it's okay for people to choose a different pathway than what you have laid out in your book. But what you also do is just to encourage some women who want to take on that more traditional role, say, of being a stay-at-home mom. And, and you just say to them, it's okay for you to do that. There's yeah. no shame in living out that part of what your heart desires. It may not be everyone's choice, but it's totally fine and good for you to go down that path. Yeah, definitely. And I think there was a strong call to kind of say that message because it's not out there, unfortunately. And I've kind of been at the forefront of the firing line from many opinionated women funnily enough it's never men men are very um in my experience anyway I found them very easygoing and they want their wives to be happy they want them their wives to do what makes them happy if that's being out in the workplace that's fine if it's at home brilliant you know but the most opinionated people in my life certainly have been other women and it still is I get hate mail funnily enough um because I don't think that they kind of have quantified the fact that I'm not saying everybody has to stay at home. I'm just saying that this is a choice too. And it's okay to make that choice. In the age of feminism, women should be free to make choices that, you know, liberate them in a way to, to be who they want to be. Um, but unfortunately, this is a wrong one because it just doesn't look like the typical you know, pre or, you know, post 1960s sexual revolution choice. They'd be like, we fought so hard for you to go out to work. Why don't you want to, you know, like a lot of people are very angry about it, but I think there needs to be more discussion about it because I think this is why a lot of women kind of suffer, particularly with self-esteem issues or maybe even depression because of staying at home because they don't feel valued. You know, their husbands will value them and their immediate family, their children value them. But when you go to dinner parties and you get overlooked because they ask you what you do and you say, I'm a housewife, and they go, oh, and then they turn to look to someone to have a conversation with someone more interesting. Whereas housewives are some of the most widely read people and have got a, a real diversity of um, ways in which they educate themselves and you know time for hobbies and also time for serving the community I don't think people realize just how much housewives are there to serve their communities like even fellow mums who are working if their child you know is or if they're unwell for example and can't get their child to school the woman who is the housewife will go and collect them I used to do it you know like I used to kind of it was my way of being the hands and feet. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And, um, I just don't think I just don't think housewives are seen as valuable, whereas actually there's so much we give. There's so much right. we, we can contribute and do contribute. Right. And just this idea that these traditional values and 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 traditional roles do have something to offer, and what I think women can tend to do is feel so threatened by that idea because that traditional role has come to represent something that's not okay or that is less than finding a career that they're afraid to then go down that avenue. Yeah, and, and we have to question who's done that? Who's been responsible for, for doing that? You know, right. I mean, do you have any ideas? What, what what happened to the housewife? I think I, I also get criticised for kind of, I don't romanticise the 1950s, but it was literally the last time that the housewife was celebrated on um, an open 
kind of in an open narrative you know they said if you wanted to sell anything you have to sell it to the housewife so um it was the last time she was um really celebrated in the media and I do think that we are subliminally and kind of openly um manipulated by the media and and so but I mean you know it's all about careers now it's all Mm -hmm. about careers that's the Mm -hmm. only focus and I just think that's wrong because we're going to get to a point if we if we literally go down this road where we um subscribed to the cultural idea that all women have to be in the workplace we are just going to literally live very individualistic lives where we are losing contact with the people that we're sharing our lives with yes you know like we need to claw some of that back and i think even if you're working because you will a want to b have to i do think we need to be very very mindful of creating a sacred space at home right and that's the thing that's exactly what you've just said is being mindful is is part of the key of making this all work being intentional to make space for family to connect with others where now, like you said, the media and the distraction of everything on our phones and computers, pushing people apart from one another, whereas we have to be very intentional about coming together and connecting with people in a very real way, not a digital way. I know. And I think you need to kind of almost be a bit strict about it. I mean, have have you had an experience pre-COVID of sitting in in a restaurant and looking at a family and they're all on their phones? (laughs) We did this before the kind of second lockdown came. We went out for dinner and I looked over and there was a family, the, the mother, the father and both of their children were sat around the table, just scrolling, mindlessly scrolling. And I hate to pass judgment on them but just oh my goodness how you, you're coming out to enjoy a family meal together to sit around a table and break bread essentially and they're just so distracted what is it that's distracting them it's 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 almost like it feels like a poison unfortunately I have to use social media to kind of get my message out there but other than that I just think it's not healthy it's it can't be healthy yeah it takes a lot of intentionality, much more than we feel we have energy to give at times yeah. in order to push aside distractions and look someone in the eyes and say, you are the most important thing in this moment. It's not easy to do nowadays, which is awful. No. And I hate that. But the gift of my presence with somebody and the gift of their presence with me is what forms true connection. We have to, as the adults in the family, we have to be the ones who defend our homes from the distractions that will just easily come in and sweep us all you know into our own little worlds if we're not careful and I'm really hoping that this will be the biggest blessing that comes out of this pandemic is that we reorder our priorities you know because I think we realize just how much we're missing the ability to see people and and see their smiling faces you know now it's literally just nothing I'm getting terrible wrinkles because when I go to the supermarket and I smile at people I'm really like squinting just to show them that I'm (laughs) smiling at them you know like so much has been taken from us so I do hope that we when we come out of it our priorities are reordered a little bit right we really now value the home as well yes yes I agree so a couple other questions for you you know you you mentioned your kind of 
grand entrance onto the BBC platform (laughs) last November. And I'd love to hear from you. What are some of the good things that you feel like you've noticed or have come to you as a result? And then also on the flip side of that, what are just some of the observations that you found some of the difficulties that you faced as well? Okay. Well, I think we've slightly touched on the the best part is that I have realized that I'm not alone. Um, It can feel very isolating to kind of um, A, be a housewife, but B, have real, a real passion for these kind of, um, you know, these values. So to have people email you from all over the world, you know, and not just housewives as well, because I think I went out with the intention of um, speaking to young women and housewives and kind of boosting their, um, you know, their their confidence in this in this area, the confidence to be themselves and to follow their dreams. Um, I've heard from a lot of men. I've heard from a lot of men. And when I say that to some journalists, they, they immediately think that those types of men will be creepy. <laughs> But they're not. They're very much. Um, it comes from a very respectful place as well. And they say that I've seen the pressure that my wife has been under. I, I see you. I see this happening to you. Because if you think about it, their, their lives, they have a lot of responsibility on their shoulders, men do. And um, this kind of comes along with my message as well, is that men aren't toxic. I think the, the past few decades, women have been... Um, I don't want to use the word brainwashed, but subliminally told the message has been there that you must go out to work in order to be, you know, of value or someone worthwhile. Um, And at the same time, we've been told that men are useless and um, they've been very much kind of the butt of the joke as well, you know. Um, So I've noticed that these men have said, we see you, we see what's happening to women like the pressure that you're under to almost put aside the kind of maternal mothering instincts that we have as well a lot of us um, because of that pressure to return to work that that um, pressure to have two jobs because that's what mothers particularly have you know if you work outside the home you've still got all that work to do at home and husbands may help out but it's never their main priority let's face it we're just made differently my husband will come and tidy about a bit but it's not to my standard it's not to (laughs) I just think women are um a vast majority of us I can't speak for everyone but we're nesters and we know how we like it done um which I think a lot of people you know that might lead to nagging for example (laughs) Right. You know, men just don't see it. They're very much their fixers and doers and, and things like that, whereas women see the, the finer details. So to know that men see the pressure that we're under and recognise it, but they they also, on, on the flip side, don't feel like they can do or say anything about it because they've become frightened of women as well, which is interesting because we've been so vocal um, about, you know, wanting... To, to be heard in the workplace in, in particular, and they're frightened of offending us. Um, and because of that, they don't feel like they can um, even support us in a way. So I think that's one of the, been one of the best things is that it's just started a conversation. And also I've had lots of young women contact me and say, thank you, because I, I again, they felt alone. And then the negative side is I've had lots of women contact me. <laughs> 
and they are very angry with me but I don't think it's because of my true message I think it's the message that they've um taken as gospel ironically from the media um a lot of young single journalists female journalists funnily enough um have written me up to be this have you heard of the handmaid's tale yes yeah they write me up to be this character called serena joy or something i've personally not read it i saw a few episodes of the thing but they seem to think that i want all wives to um you know stay in the home and um I think the problem as well is I've also talked about submission within a marriage, but that is absolutely categorically biblical submission. Um, I've also spoken to some Christians, Christian women who don't like those passages of scripture. Um, But I think that comes from um, a place where they have been influenced by culture rather than actually reading the scripture and taking the truth from it, if you know what I mean. I've written about this. I've written a blog post, which was very controversial. Um, I basically said that your husband must come first. But I was writing that from a wife's perspective. If I was writing it from a husband's perspective, I would say your wife must come first. Because we are modelling relationships and communication and marriage to our children. And like I said at the very start of our conversation, it wasn't modelled to me. And if it's not modeled to you within the home, where are you going to find that example of how to communicate with a spouse, how to resolve issues, resolve conflict, um, be there for one another? So because I've mentioned submission, they think it means subservience and they think it means that the woman has no worth and she's a slave to her husband and things like that. Whereas it's actually this perfect, perfect harmony that it creates within a marriage. Um, And your husband does not earn your submission just by purely being a man. He has to be honourable and upstanding. And, you know, he has great responsibility on his shoulders as well. It's not an easy position to be in. They they seem to think that the husband actually is like this, you know, he's in his easy chair, not lifting a finger. And I'm kind of like, you know, dusting around him and getting his slippers. And, you know, can I get you anything, dear? And things like that. It's, It's not. It's this perfect, you know, marital, harmonious partnership. So I've had a lot of hate because of that. But these are the people that just don't understand because they miss out the fact entirely that I'm a Christian and this comes from scripture. And they just think I want to indoctrinate all these women to being, you know, some sort of slave to men. Right. That was long winded. Sorry. (laughs) No, thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing what the journey's been like. I know you've really only just probably touched the surface of what you have experienced this last year. And I hope that those listening can understand the heart behind what you're sharing and and what you are trying to encourage women to do, which is ultimately go back to where their identity is found, because a lot of these issues and um, how we relate to men, how we, if we're, if we're married or have partners, how we relate to them as well, it actually comes back to this question of, do I hold value in who I am? And then when we, then when we try to live out things in a practical way, if it clashes with me feeling valued or not valued, then that's where the reaction comes from. The biggest transformation is 
admitting to myself, not admitting to myself, but just recognizing that men and women are created differently. We are of equal value, but we are not the same. You know, we're both human, we're both equally loved, but we are not the same. I just think as the lately, the way that the kind of world is going, we seem to want to get rid of all differences between people. There, there's like this homogenizing that's going on um, between everything, everything. Everything's got to look the same. Everything's got to be equal and grey washed. And um, we're not allowed to celebrate typically feminine things anymore, or masculine things. Both are very toxic. We have to kind of swim in the middle. And it's just, it's very sad, I think, for us mm-hmm. to just throw away the idea that we are two halves of one whole, you know? Right. right. Two puzzle right. pieces that look the same won't go together. This is why we were created, literally, to kind of be put together, husband and wife, because strong families make strong communities and strong communities make great nations. Absolutely. And then that goes back to honor as well. Are my actions honoring the other person? And when we both choose to put each other first, that's how it works. Yeah. Is it coming from a place of love or a place of fear? What I'm about to say, what I'm about to do, even what I'm thinking, stop and take stock. Well, this has been great chatting with you. And thank you again for joining us today. It's been wonderful. Thank you for having me. If you would like more information on Alina or would like to stay more connected with her writing, you can visit her at thedarlingacademy.com. Thanks again for listening. And if you enjoy this episode, don't forget to rate and review it and subscribe. See you soon.